Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, Monday, and you know I like Mondays, and why not? Mondays get us back into the rhythm of of uh, work, and I love work, and I love being here for you, and I love my show today. Patrick is going to be joining me in just a minute, and then Dr. Ann Bradley, one of my very favorite economists, will be on, and then I'm meeting for the first time Dr. Jesse Hamilton. He's going to talk about evangelism and discipleship. That's the program today. Patrick, of course, is my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa in the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Hey, Patrick. Hello. Yeah. So, an hour early. Are we an hour? Are we on an hour earlier or an hour later? I'm not I'm, sure. I'm, I'm thrown. How are you adjusting yeah. to daylight savings time ending? I you know I don't I, I don't like when the clocks go back uh, because uh, that means I wake up at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> instead of three, which yeah. which was already. And and of course the eating schedule is off, and uh, and then you know you start to you have that you, know, you have some items like your phone and maybe some of your clocks uh, change automatically, and then you have the ones on the wall that are, you know the little five dollar clock you got at, yeah. at you know the big box store. You just go, I just turn a dial. That one's pretty easy. Uh, and then it's the the stove and the microwave and the coffee maker. Pretty soon you got the manuals out. <laughs> There's about three hours until you say, I, I, I don't know how to change the clock. Yeah. And some people with the car, my mother-in-law's car, I it's I said, just, you know, this is going to take me about six months to figure out. And you know what? <laughs> In six months. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. But I can't, I can't, it's, I couldn't imagine it would be, it could be any worse I mean, imagine, you know, they say Stonehenge is like a clock. Imagine if you had to change that thing an hour. <laughs> you, had to, you had to pick up the rocks and move them? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, or how about a sundial? Yeah. That's got to be pretty tough. But so, so how good are you at even resetting an analog clock? I mean, we're so used to digital time. They say, it's now 8.51, set it to that. You go, oh, all right, I think I know where to put the hands, but maybe I'm not for sure positive. Yeah. Or that old style alarm clock that we all had with the flip over, you oh. know, the, the numbers that flipped over and you, so you had to basically go 23 hours, uh, to get it to go one hour back. You, yeah. always, had, you always had to go forward and you're spinning the dial, spinning the dial. And then you accidentally go like 23 hours and five minutes. And you say, <laughs> do I just leave it the five minutes or do I just go another, tw- now I have to go 23 hours and 55 minutes. And pretty soon you lose the math. And, of course, by the time you look at your watch, you say, well, it's still 10 minutes off because it took me 10 minutes to reset the clock <laughs> that I was trying to reset for noon. And uh, yeah, I, I would say, for me, the, the, the thing I dislike the most about the end of daylight savings time is uh, you turn the clocks back and you get an extra hour of political ads. <laughs> <laughs> It almost reminds me of trying to hear your favorite uh, guitar lick on a song on an eight track. You have to go all the way through the the uh, the track all to get back the way to the to the the part of the song you like. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, but you know, that was that's how you learned the rest of the album. That that's was true. Back when they could say, you know, we have one good song and nine not so good songs. 
we'll put them on this. <laughs> we'll buy it. You yeah. Know. So now did you, you can pick and choose. Did you get any political advertisements in your mail today, or have they stopped? I, I, so I've been getting, you know, uh, three to six a day. Today I went out to the mailbox. Not a single one. I was kind of surprised. Uh, although there was a report from the financial people on the 401k, which when I opened that, I said, oh, that's a political ad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whose is this? This yeah. can't be mine. I got somebody else's mail today. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's funny because I'm still getting some of the text messages where they're, they're still asking for money. And I thought, I mean, the, the, the we're voting tomorrow, right? So if we're voting, what are you, are you still making commercials? Are you just putting the finishing touch on that final commercial that telling me that my opponent is too extreme? Uh, <laughs> Well, they're don't you don't you wish you could just talk to everybody? I'm I'm starting to mimic these commercials, you know. I mean, it's when we went on the air today. I thought of him going. Bill Arnold says he's your friend, but when I called Bill Arnold to help me move, he didn't answer the phone. <laughs> That's why I have caller ID. Bill, yeah, I knew you were going to ask yeah, me to help move. Yeah, Bill, he's no friend. <laughs> he's too extreme. <laughs> Yeah, the, Ugh, the level of okay, drama is pretty nice high. The level of drama. I had lunch with some people today, and you know they're all doing the whole end of the world thing. And I said, I, I, I don't think an election is the end of the world. You know, the end of the world will look entirely different than voting booths. But uh, I said, you know, if you've ever seen the movie Men in Black, at, at one point in time, the Tommy Lee Jones character says, uh, "It's always the end of the world." Every day, it's, there's always something. Everybody always thinks it's the end of the world. Everybody says this is the end of the world. That's the end of the world. But you know, I kind of look at it as you know, we've survived all kinds of different people getting elected to offices and presidents. And you know, I think one of the nice things, if we remember who's really in charge, we realize well, we're going to be okay. Yeah, we have one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to carry out the mission of Jesus. That's all. Yeah. You know, so everything else yeah. is like uh, a sideshow, a circus sideshow. You know, as it, much as you want to contribute and try to make a difference, uh, the Bible is clear that, that God has already established an order, and it's called the kingdom of God. So that's where we put our, our energy. That's where I vote. That's got all my votes, and I'm happy to say that's yeah. that's my mission. It's a very simple task. That's a great place to vote. Yeah, it's a very simple it task. Very Just simple reveal task. reveal God's kingdom to other people. Very simple. And here's what's great about it. You know, the polls are open 24 hours a day, every day, uh, for you to put in your vote for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You always say, you know, there's your, you, you want to accept right now? Great. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you don't decide today and you decide tomorrow, the polls are still open. <laughs> and the, you can still put your and, vote in. And the head of the kingdom is available to listen to you right now. How about that? Yeah. 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 And actually, he was kind enough to put his promises down on paper. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, that's what yeah, I live by. Too. So do you remember the president that yeah. used to invite people to come to his back porch and just talk to him? Uh, yeah, James, you know, normally James, this is the kind of... Th James Garfield. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to make you sweat. James Garfield. Oh, the, one of the Garfields. Yeah, did, he's the guy that came up with the Halloween thing too, right? <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, by the way, I just, I did remember something last week. You asked me about costumes I wore for Halloween yeah. and I did remember the worst costume that I ever wore for Halloween. Uh, one year I went as the invisible man 
and I collected no candy. Huh. I, uh, it was like I wasn't even there. <laughs> nah, I thought that you... But I like I it. No, I, I like it. It's good. It's yeah. good. Yeah, it's just a week late. No, so James Garfield came up, or he invited people... Uh, was he in the White House? Was the White House built by then? See, I should know this, shouldn't I? Uh, yeah, he was in the White House. And he was... Uh, he had a, a low-key front porch campaign. He just said, come on over, and I'll come out on the front porch, and we can talk. I also believe he was assassinated, so... Well, yeah, so that ended the front porch campaign. Well, no, he wasn't assassinated on his front porch, on his front front porch, but he, okay. He was assassinated in office. He was one of the one of the four assassinated. Yeah, yeah. At 49 there, years old. Wasn't there a thing it says every every 20 years there was remember that uh, conspiracy theory that they would try to predict. They said, well, you know, it was some sort of even odd number thing in presidents. Uh, I had the Bermuda Triangle, I believe, was thrown in there. <laughs> <laughs> Something about pyramid power. But, yeah. Um, People that get oh, lost. I love that. Guys that get lost in the Bermuda Triangle usually get lost with their golf clubs and some fraternity brothers. Seems that way. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, it's it's very much like um, uh, uh, Thurston Howell the <laughs> Third and, <laughs> and Lovey. I don't. What was Lovey's first name? Was it just Lovey? Lovey? I think. No, she had a first name. I don't know what it was. She had a first name. Yeah, but uh, you know, those people packed an awful lot for a three-hour tour, and uh, similar to the people in the Bermuda Triangle, it's like you're going to be needing that. You're just. It's just a quick little trip through the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle. <laughs> yeah. Speaking. Yeah. Speaking oh. of of movie or television from a bygone era, so Fred Gwynn, he played who? Uh, Herman Munster. Herman Munster. Uh, that's one of his more famous roles. Do you know where he graduated from college, Fred Gwynn? Herman Munster. Where did Herman Munster go to college? Where did he graduate from? Uh, ooh, I, now, see, of course, I'm close to a computer. I could Google it. Yeah, I you could. could. Hall. Yeah, but let's just and... say Thurston Howell III went to Yale. Did he go to Yale? Really? I know. I can't remember. Okay. But I... in real life, Fred Gwynn went to Harvard, graduated from Harvard. Well, uh, did you ever see the movie My Cousin Vinny? Yes. Uh, he played a judge. So maybe that's where the Harvard education finally paid off, I'm guessing. You know, is that uh, he went to Harvard. Yeah. And then he became, can you imagine being on the set and people said, look at the the big doofus this guy is? He's like, no. <laughs> I went to Harvard. <laughs> You're Herman Munster and you have a Harvard degree. Yeah. Yeah, you can't judge a book by its cover, I suppose. Yeah, but everybody knows Herman Munster. Everybody knows. I think he also had, you know, troubles getting uh, acting gigs after playing Herman Munster. Did he not? I think he. I th no, I think he did okay after that. But you know, yeah, okay. get the makeup off him, and he looked. He was kind of a handsome guy, kind of a yeah. character actor. Kind of a character actor. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was it was uh, Adam West as Batman that struggled. Yeah. 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 I mean, I you know, I for one, uh, you know, once he, he put the mask on, I still knew it was Bruce Wayne. <laughs> 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 I have no idea why Commissioner Gordon, you think, no wonder why this police department needs some assistance from a couple of guys in capes. You can't tell that this is Bruce Wayne? You hang out with Bruce Wayne all the time. 
Now here he is. He puts a couple of, you know, a piece of paper over his eyes. Robin, at least give me a break on Robin. Yeah. It's the same haircut. Exactly. At least Batman is hiding the hair. Right. But you can't tell. You guys are not very good policemen. Yeah. No wonder why you need help. But think about it back then. The villains, uh, the criminals, they would go around in, you know, uh, green stretch suits with question marks on it. So they're a little bit easier to, to, to spot. Which is why they always had a secret lair. That they, they needed a secret lair. They could not hang out in the general population. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like us. All right, let me take a break. We'll be right back with more. And Patrick Albanese being my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. we got lots coming up. Dr. Ann Bradley is on after Patrick. And then Dr. Jesse Hamilton will be joining me. Meeting him for the first time. Can't wait. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. My head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining me, I've got a great show for you today. Patrick Albanese is joining me. He uh, usually gets things started for me on Mondays, and I always like to start things on a little bit of a lighter note. A merry heart is like good medicine, and I think it's important that we uh, not take ourselves too seriously and we have a, a good smile or a good laugh as many times a day as possible. And I know Patrick. Uh, when you call friends, uh, that's always one of the highlights of calling a friend is you can pretty much guarantee there's going to be a lot of laughs. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, something we, we seek out and then maybe that should be a message to us. You know, it's almost like uh, when you're thirsty, you crave water. Your body yep. says, we need water. We need, just knows that you need water. And uh, sometimes with our friends, you say, I, I just need somebody I can uh, call and maybe um, we try to make each other. I know you and I do this a lot where we try to make each other laugh because we're not easy targets. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, we deal with the, the funny business a lot. And so it's always nice when uh, you, you have people that can make you laugh. Yeah. You know, a little bit of joy. Yeah. Because there is plenty of sadness in the world and there's uh, plenty of things to uh, feel bad about. And I think uh, laughter kind of proves our humanity and gives us uh, a little bit of balance in an otherwise imbalanced world. I know I'll be calling you tomorrow after I binge watch every one of the political ads tonight just so I can be sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to those stopping. Uh, there's, you know, that season yeah. is, is, uh, needs to come to an end and I'm looking forward to it being over. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, the 2024 season kicks off next week, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do want no, a little no, bit of a reprieve, but are you going to binge watch? Are you just going to see, did you DVR everything and say, let me just watch them all and see what we got. You know, so, so. no, it's, that's why we need, we do need some humor for, for things like that because otherwise you can really lose sight. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, you and I often say that, uh, one of the things we've always loved about comedy and humor is when you see somebody 
you know, an audience can watch, say, a performance of something, and sometimes they'll clap politely. Yeah. Uh, and they'll respond, and they'll say, oh, that was really wonderful. And they may or may not be exaggerating a little bit. They may or not may not be telling you how they really feel. But spontaneous laughter cannot be faked. Uh, you know, a, a loud guffaw out of out of an audience is an honest, true reaction of joy. Mm-hmm. And it's just and, and it's a joy to behold people. It's why do we like to go and enjoy um, an experience of a comedy movie or a theatrical show with other people? Because it's not just that we're laughing. I, I, for me, I love to look around and see other people laughing too. We're all yeah. laughing at the same thing. We're having fun together. It's, it's wonderful. A, yeah, it's joyous. A little vacation for your brain. It is. Just so you can take a break from having to think about the heavy, serious stuff, and you can just sort of be a little distracted. You don't have to be there long, and I don't recommend it, but um, it is fun to get away and, and just have a little bit of uh, a diversion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sleep is like that, too. I hear. I yeah. know I don't sleep much, you know, but... Uh, Oh, I think it is uh, certainly something we, we I, I know I've told the story that, you know, uh, 9-11, um, I was kind of new to triple espresso. I was working down in San Diego and it was the day after we were supposed to have a performance and we weren't sure if we were going to cancel it. And we decided to go ahead and do it. And uh, it's a Wednesday night. And normally, you know, there'd be maybe 100 people in a 230 seat theater for that night. And it was packed, standing room only, and the crowd was uh, erupting in laughter and joy. And we met the people afterwards, and they said, well, see, this is what I needed. Yeah. I just needed two hours away from what happened. Yeah, it, it was and, horrible. And it was kind of, you know, you know, I was talking to my daughter the other day because she's 13, so of course she's trying to figure out her life, and we're trying to take the pressure off and say, you know, wait till you're 14 on that one. Uh, but... uh I said, you know, sometimes your piece of the puzzle or the mosaic is is not what you think it's going to be. And that was a night I go back all those years and I realized, hey, you know, I used to kind of beat up myself saying, well, I don't save lives. I'm not a doctor in an emergency room. I don't do open heart surgery. I said, nope, but uh, maybe I entertain those people so that they can do it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's my piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the reason God had me here is like, well, no, you're not going to be doing this, the heart surgery. That's why you can't stay on the side of blood. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you'll be ministering to those people and, and I have other plans. Yeah. So, so speaking, be open to that. speaking of other yeah. plans, when you look over your life, now I know you're not an old guy yet, but do you look back <laughs> and do you think my life largely turned out the way I thought it would? Or do you think to yourself, well, my life didn't really turn out the way I thought it would. It's full of surprises and <laughs> twists and turns, you know? Yeah. But don't but don't you often – sometimes you have to look back, I, I, for me anyway, and say, well, I really love those surprises and twists and turns. And I, I certainly didn't enjoy those moments where I had no idea where things were going. But uh, as a friend of mine, a very wise friend – and I didn't think he was wise at the time when he would say this. Uh, he would say, if you knew exactly how everything was going to play out, I don't think you would enjoy your life as much. Mm-hmm. He says, I think that you, if you, if you knew everything that was going to happen for the next 40 years of your life, nothing would come as a surprise. How could you possibly enjoy? I, I remember uh, walking, through, I was in Las Vegas going to see some shows. I remember uh, walking past a table and a guy uh, put $4,000 down on the roll of the dice and he lost. 
and he had absolutely zero reaction. Wow. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And it hit me. I said, if it doesn't bother you to lose, you probably don't enjoy winning. Mm-hmm. Because you don't get the joy of winning if, if you don't have the, the agony of defeat, so to speak. Yeah. So, yeah, I look back and I say, this is, you know, I don't know. I'm sure I plan to be a multi-billionaire by 15. <laughs> I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty, mm-hmm. pretty sure I had some rather rosy, optimistic goals of being some sort of real estate mogul and owning a town. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> You know, things morphed and went this way and that way. And, you know, I, I, I especially marvel at those pebbles on your path, you know, that, that just take you slightly off course, just the tiniest little bit off course. And then you look back years later and say that tiny course correction, as I look at it now, was monumental in my life. Yeah. At the time, it was like, oh, this is a slight inconvenience. Things, I'm, I'm going to have to take this different job over here, for instance. And then suddenly a whole new world was opened up to you. And then 20 years later, you say, look where I ended up. How did that happen? That's yeah. not in the plans at all. And I've that's, always, to me, that's got to work. Yeah. I've always said there's nothing inconsequential in God's economy. You know, you think you have a, a five minute meeting with somebody or an introduction to somebody and you think, well, that was odd. Uh, that will never amount to anything. And then in fact, just the opposite. Yes. Yeah, like the beginning of yeah. our friendship, I was five minutes away from walking away from three people standing in front of me. One of them was you, and yeah. I stayed an extra five minutes, and then all of a sudden we made a connection, and then uh, a couple weeks later we had an, I had an opportunity that you were able to take advantage of. It was amazing, and it was an, probably an extra five minutes I hung in there. Yeah, and I, you know, and I actually I remember that night because um, uncustomarily for me. You know, I, I had gone to see your show and I wasn't there to see you. I was there to see somebody else, but you were filling in for that person. Yeah, I remember that. I just happened to be that mm-hmm. night. And I was so taken by it. I said, you know, I'm going to go ask that guy if I can have his job, <laughs> 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 which is not the thing you normally do. And so I did yeah. uh, in, in the politest way I could. And uh, you said, I have absolutely no idea, which turned out that you said, I've just been here for two weeks looking for somebody to take my job. And I was go. you were going home empty handed. So the timing, uh, like you say, not inconsequential yeah. in God's economy. It was, a, it wasn't just the 11th hour. It was 1159.59 on the atomic clock. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So be and, encouraged if you are in a place where you think, when, when is something new going to happen in my life or when... When will I have an opportunity that I've been looking for? I always say just stay present because you never know who that five-minute interaction might be with. Yeah, and it's it's often disguised in, a, in 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 such a way as to be it will not be recognizable as opportunity. Often, true. It will look like something else. Yeah, true. And uh, yeah, I've I've had too many of those to think it coincidental in my life now that uh, I have you know had these opportunities that came along, didn't even know it at the time, and said, "Well, look what just happened." Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, well, tr- trust the Lord in everything you do, and He will show you the right way. Thanks, Patrick. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks, you too. You bet. Patrick Albanese has been my friend and colleague to get things started. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's talk economy and inflation with economist Dr. Ann Rathbone Bradley. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. My guest is Dr. Ann Bradley. And one of these days, I'm going to have Ann write me a very succinct bio that I can introduce her with because she has <laughs> so many accomplishments and credits. She's an author, a professor, and it goes on and on. But always glad to have her on. Ann, welcome. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. You know, as we look at what's going on in our country this week with the election tomorrow, it seems that mm-hmm. on the top of everyone's mind is the economy. So I can't think of anything better to do today than call my favorite economist. Well, you're my favorite radio show host. No, oh, so thank you for calling me. <laughs> thank you. It certainly is on yeah. the top of everybody's minds. Their their money, the rising inflation, um, and everything that is associated with uh, a tighter economy. What do you think is uh, is there anything unusual or or abnormal about this trend? It seems that inflation goes up, inflation goes down. Things go up, things mm-hmm. go down. Mm-hmm. You're right. There is a cyclical nature to these macroeconomic indicators that we look look at. Uh, inflation being one, and you're absolutely right. Inflation is on everybody's mind right now. I feel, Bill, that we've been talking about this topic for a long time over the past year. It comes up often. Um, you know, the problem with this is it. You know, when inflation starts persistently escalating like this. It's on the heart and mind of every American because we feel it. We feel it when we go to the grocery store. We feel it when we drop the kids off at daycare, when you have to run around in your car and use gas. And so I think you're right that this is is, uh, the economy and people's feelings about the economy are absolutely going to drive what happens tomorrow in the midterm elections. But you're right that there's a cyclical nature. That's true. I mean, this is hard to understand, I think. is and, And what I mean by that is this. The economy just doesn't, you don't just get economic growth, right? And you kind of settle into that growth and then you never have bad things happen or you never have, you know, you just get on this upwardly linear path towards economic development and everything's rosy. And so there are shocks to the system. There are things that we can control. There are things that we can't control. So the war in Ukraine, not in our direct control. Um, tornadoes and hurricanes and things that might cause gas prices or raw materials to be Mm -hmm. in short supply, not in our control, a pandemic, not in our control, but there are things that are in fact in our control, things like the way we respond to those crises and, um, policies that we set, how much the government spends every year. And so that kind of brings us to where we are today. And one of the things I reflect on in today's economy is that yes, it's, Some of these things are cyclical. We saw very high interest rates in the 80s. We saw um, really high, what we call the misery index. That was really high in the 80s. And so we've been through tough economic times before. You go back to the Great Depression. That was a depression. we're We're talking about a recession. That was a depression. So it could be worse. It doesn't have to be worse. These things are redeemable if we get the right policy. And so that's kind of the key to figuring this all out into the future. Um, but you're right, there's a cyclicality, and I think maybe sometimes it overly influences the way people vote. Because to some extent, Bill, some of these things are out of the president's control. Mm-hmm. Um, the president doesn't directly control gas prices in the American economy, no matter what Joe Biden says. Or, you know, and he's not the only president who's kind of claimed responsibility for gas prices dropping. But the president can either 
engage in policies that support lower gas prices or engage in policies that foster higher gas prices. So if you restrict drilling, if you restrict, you know, uh, petroleum evacuation, um, right out of the, out of the earth, all these types of things, that's going to lead to higher prices. So our policies do matter. And I think that is what people are taking with them to the, to the ballot tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Uh, And on the eve of the election, are we in a recession headed for one or is your answer, I don't know. I My answer still is, of all the things that we look at, they're not all trending toward recession. So we look at okay. consumer spending, that's up. Um, we look at a lot of different things. We look at unemployment, for example. Um, overall unemployment is 3.7%. That's a really great number. Um, and like I said, federal, or excuse me, consumer spending was up a little bit in September by 0.6%. Um, we look at industrial production. We look at real. We look at real personal income. So I just don't think we're there yet, but I definitely think we're at a wait and see. So economists are kind of each month looking at the numbers very carefully to say, are we are we going to tumble into a recession? Can we stay out of a recession? And of course, we want to avoid a recession because a recession is about you know kind of um, cumulative economic decline. And that sounds like a big macroeconomic thing, but this means lost mm-hmm. jobs, lower production, lower output. So that affects all of our lives. And so we don't want to live in a time of a recession. But again, I think we should say we need to have kind of some realism as we go to the polls, because just we might be able to vote one party out and vote one party in. Um, but that doesn't mean we're magically going to solve all the problems. This is not just about partisanship. This is about principles. And I think that's where we've gotten off track. And that's not just about the pandemic. It's not just about the current president. It's about the last, you know, kind of hundred years. If you look at the last hundred years of economic history in the United States, we have spent a lot of money. Um, We have a lot of debt. And yes, we've gotten a lot richer at that same time. So I think we've been under the false impression that we can afford all these things that we ask the government to do. But if you look at things like Medicare and Social Security, these things are on the precipice as well of just, you know, not having any resources behind them. And so into Mm -hmm. the future, future generations are going to have to figure out what to do when these are bankrupt. And so there's real economic problems. But like I said, they are redeemable, but we have to get back to principles. I appreciate you saying they are redeemable because that that does make, I think, all of us feel better. All right. And Dr. Ann Bradley is my guest. Um, And Ann, when you try to think of a recession and you look at the stock market and sometimes that creeps up higher than normal and you can still go into a recession or you can see the stock market go way down and you can see the economy improve. These Mm -hmm. don't ever seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. And I don't know if you can shed any light on that. Sure. And obviously you might be, well, you might be referring to what happened last week, which was the federal reserve raised rates again which I think yes. was necessary. And okay. it, the stock market goes into crisis um, for a short time. And so this spooks investors because investors are looking at these types of, you know, kind of behavior on the part of the Fed, and they're trying to see into the future. And so one thing I will say about the stock market is we're always playing the long game. The long game is the game that you play. So mm-hmm. if you are one of those people, I have a, a colleague 
at the Institute of World Politics, and he asked me all the time, you know, thinking about the the stock market, and, you know, he said, should I get out? Should I get out? Should I get out? And I first tell him, I'm not a financial advisor, so you should ask that person. But, you know, <laughs> right. we have to think about the long game. Just because the stock market has a bad day doesn't mean you pull everything out of the market, because the reason the stock market does well on average in a country like the United States over time is because this is a country with a lot of economic freedom. There's a lot of innovation. Yes, we have a lot of problems. And I, in my opinion, a lot of those problems are brought on by a, a government that's bigger than it should be. And by should, I mean, you know, kind of what economically feasible things that the government can do. So I think it's just a little bit bigger than what it, what it needs to be, or maybe a lot bigger than what it needs to be. And so I don't think we need to be petrified. But what I tell this colleague is just don't look at the stock market figures every 10 minutes because it's stressful especially yeah. right now. But investors, bear, I mean, look, mortgage rates are over 7%. This is the highest they've been in a long time. It feels like we're back in 2007, 2008. And so this yeah. is going to slow down the economy, but that's the point. So that's the problem is when we get ourselves into this predicament, we have to take the tough medicine to get on the other side of it. But in the meantime, people suffer. Even though they're yeah. not in a recession, people suffer. You know, most of us have lost... You know, 20, 25% of our earnings in the stock market over a year, that's very depressing. And if you're at the end of your life, this is, can be very harmful because that's, you're not you're on a fixed income and you're living off that money. So this is very scary if you're elderly and you're not working. And so that's why we need to not be cavalier about these things. I think that's important. Yeah. And the speed at which the interest rates went up, can they return just as fast or once they get up that high, do they take longer to come down? I think there's some stickiness. That's a term we use in economics to describe a couple of things. But I think that, that you know, inflation is sticky. So inflation is the persistent rise in prices. Interest rates can move. They can be fluid. They themselves are a price, right? They're the price of, you know, kind of borrowing money. And so the interest rates, when they get higher, they um, encourage savings because there's a higher rate of return when interest rates are lower then they encourage investment. And so to cool off the economy, the whole point of raising the interest rates is to kind of cool that down. Um, so yes, they can move, but you have to also realize that the Federal Reserve controls elements of the interest rate, but the interest rate is a, is a result of the market. So there's some things even that are out of the Federal Reserve's control. So they can't just say, you know, we want mortgage rates to be this, Mortgage rates are going to be a reflection not only of the policies of the Federal Reserve, but also what's going on in the housing market. So if that makes sense, it's kind of, you know, they don't just have authoritarian control over all interest rates and, and you know, kind of the movements of all of those things. So, yes, they can move. Um, I think inflation is a little bit more sticky. So when you get this kind of high levels of inflation, it's really not like flipping a switch where you just, you know, kind of engage in good policies today and all of a sudden it goes right back down. The other thing I will say in answer to, to your question, Bill, is that we're also dealing with a, just a confluence of things that led us where we are today. So I would say if there was no pandemic and there were no supply chain issues and there was no you know, massive increase in government spending as a response to the pandemic, we'd be in a different situation than we are today. So, you know, some of that is just a unique set of events that lead us to where we are. Um, that said, I do think that these um, numbers can come back down, but they don't always come back down as quickly, uh, right, as we want them to, especially mm -hmm. when we're talking about inflation rates. Yeah. And I'd love to go back to talking about the labor market. Um, there 
seems to be I, I would love to encourage more workers to get back into the into the market and i i know that we our world is better when people are working uh not only for the world but for people's personal well-being and and their ability to uh pay their bills and and live productive uh lives but their mm-hmm. the 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 way in which uh companies have had so much trouble hiring people um and I'm just wondering how how does that improve? Well, I think there's a couple of ways that we can kind of think about this. One is, and what you saw, big retailers, um, places like Amazon, places like Walmart, is you know kind of lower income, lower wage workers. They started offering people really nice perks um, mm. to join those teams. So things like college tuition reimbursement and things like this. Um, And so I think that the workforce dynamic has really been altered again because of the pandemic. So this is, I think, a unique pandemic factor, you know, kind of variable here, which is that we were all, not we were all, but many people went home to work. And this changed what people are demanding from their employers. And so I think employers are really starting to deal with this. So they're starting to offer more flexible hours and different types of even shifts and things like this that I think traditionally um, you saw some companies resisting that because they they didn't have to change. And so that is probably a factor. Um, I also think, you know, again, one of the things that we saw during the heyday of the pandemic is that there were these stimulus checks that were sent out. Some mm-hmm. Americans really held on to those checks and didn't spend them. But I think there is some amount of if you give people money that seems like it's free, it's, of course, not free, but that's going to discourage work. Um, that might kind of encourage, uh, you know, kind of lapses in employment that you wouldn't otherwise see. Because if people have the expectation that they're going to get that into the future, then they're going to, you know, they're going to have even less of an incentive to work. So where we're really seeing this um, is an hourly um types of um, employment, you know, kind of areas of the labor market. And so I think flexibility is going to be key. I think, you know, of course, what we've seen is rising salaries and rising wages as a result, because you want to woo people um, into those sectors. Here's the other thing that's going on behind the scenes kind of quietly. It's always been happening. But just technological innovation means we need fewer employees in different retail establishments. Right. And so that is when people were sent home then employers were forced to figure it out. So it kind of accelerates that uh, technological replacement of manual labor. Again, that's always happening, but I think COVID accelerated that. So I think those are some things going on in the labor market still today. Yeah, as long as robots don't replace us, Anne, I think we'll be okay. Let me take a little break. Dr. Ann Bradley is my guest. We're going to be back more with Anne in just a minute. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com.
I am back with Dr. Ann Bradley. She's an economist, a professor, and an author, and a regular guest on the show. Always enjoy her perspective as we are uh, looking at an economy um, that is uh, has rising inflation and all kinds of uh, problems for our world. In light of all of that, Ann, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So mm. none of that's going to make too much difference at the end of the day. I mean, this is uh, this is so right, and it goes back to the question that we were just talking about. If you think about our who we were made to be, we are made in the image and likeness of God, and we were made to work, and that's very clear in the first and sh- second chapters of Genesis. So I think we need, you know, we were just talking about labor markets, and that made me think of this, is that these are earthly things. They very much matter for our well-being here, and our well-being here matters because God created us to kind of cultivate and experience human flourishing. But I think if we get the wrong vision about who we are, the wrong kind of personal mission statement about what we're supposed to do, then society gets derailed. And so I kind of worry a little bit about some of the cultural shifts, which is that, you know, work is a drag and I can't wait till Friday and I hate Monday. And, you know, all these types of things, they disincentivize work too. Um, you know, we, we need people to figure out what God created them to be and then do it with excellence. And for many of us, that means we're going to do that in the marketplace, not just in the church, not just in our homes and communities. And it all matters. And so I think really kind of bringing that message and kind of resharing it as often as we can. I think it's optimistic and hopeful, but it's who we are, and it's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, human flourishing is at the core of who, how God designed us, and uh, God put us in, on this earth to, uh, to work and be productive and not only uh, do things for the kingdom, but also for each other and to love one another. And uh, So talk about human flourishing, because that is something that doesn't, doesn't get discussed as often as I think it should. I agree. I wish we could inject that language onto Capitol Hill in an effective way, um, because it's what matters at the end of the day. So I'm kind of very um, influenced by the work of Jonathan Pennington. He's a theologian, and he writes about kind of biblical investigations into human flourishing. And so I think what he gets right is this idea that human flourishing is what we were made to experience, and God's creation, when it works the way it is supposed to, that's the result. And to your point, it's not just about, you know, it's not this secular, sacred kind of divide. It's actually all that we do is sacred. And, you know, if you're an accountant and you're going to work and every email you send matters, and somehow there's eternal significance to doing that and doing it with excellence. And so that's kind of how we need to think about human flourishing, it's not just what happens inside the church. It's all of our lives and all the spaces that we occupy. And so, um, you know, flourishing is what we were designed for. If you look at the story of the garden, there was abundance. We don't talk about that, do we? I mean, abundance. Adam and Eve have more than they ever could possibly use in terms of raw materials. And they were asked to use their human creativity and unleash it on those raw materials and discover and learn and innovate. That's what we're supposed to do. And in doing that, we can help each other. We can serve each other. And that's also what we're supposed to do. So I I think that's the broader notion of human flourishing. I think the secular version is just like do whatever you want and or be famous and or have lots of money, these types of things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right? And I think that's a very dangerous set of ideas, but I think rather... Human flourishing does include material well-being, and so it 
the type of economic and political and legal systems we agitate for very much matters. So I think Christians have a responsibility to go in the public square and be thoughtful about that. Um, speaking of voting tomorrow, right? Like, think about yeah. what that means for you. And I don't think it means voting one way or another. It just means how do we have that penetrate all that we think about? Yeah, and what happens when a large portion of believers have kind of a scarcity mentality? Mm, yeah, so this is a great question. And I think I think of um, the famous novel, um, A Christmas Carol, if you remember that, um, sure. Charles Dickens, right? And yes. so Ebenezer Scrooge is kind of a guy who has a scarcity mentality. So he has all this money, and he... I mean, we're entering the Christmas season, so I encourage people to see one of the many, many reproductions of this movie. I mean, you can read the book, too. It's also amazing. But if you're short on time, go watch one of the movies because it's great. And so in a variety of the movies, what you see is this kind of wealthy man who's grumpy about everything and doesn't even want to turn the heat on for his employee. And he goes home to this very dark mansion and he eats a sad bowl of porridge and he puts like one little log on the fire. That's a scarcity mentality. He has a lot of money, but his face is in his money. And he views his money as limited and fixed, and it could be gone at any moment. And so what does he do? He hoards. And so I think when you have a scarcity mentality, which is there's a fixed amount of stuff in the world, there's a lot of people who want the stuff. And so I need to just kind of get as much as I can, hoard, and wait till Jesus comes. (laughs) I mean, this is not the way to live. And so I think we need to view the world as in a very different way, which is there's a lot that God has gifted us to be stewards of, your mind, your talent, your treasure, and you're asked to steward those things in a way that makes the world better, improves the world, leave more than you you came with kind of thing. And so if you view that as the, you know, you can grow well just by, by using your skills to benefit people, that's not a scarcity mentality. That's a, I'm going to help create more abundance mentality. And that abundance is mutual. It's not exploitative. So I think, you know, we need to get out of the Ebenezer Scrooge mentality and think about how am I going to wake up and serve the world today in the little way that each of us are empowered to do. We, none of us can change the world alone, but we can do little things that God has called us to do and we can make a big difference. Yeah, such a good word, Anne. When you think of resources and, and finances, it probably goes back as far as you can remember into your childhood. I don't know what message you received from your parents uh, but I think the message that I heard, I don't know who said this, some famous person, but said that the idea was to, to make as much money as you can, give away as much money as you can, and save as much money as you can. Mm-hmm. I always thought, well, that was, seems like a pretty wise principle. I think that's great. You know, I think as Christians, too, we are very responsible for being generous with our wealth. Um, so I think that's another thing that um, we need to talk about in the church, in um you know, kind of um, mission organizations and things like this, we need to talk that wealth isn't something that is, you know, sinful, but that our attitudes towards wealth can really change our our outlook. Um, But yeah, make as much as you can, because in a market-based economy, what does that mean? If you're making a lot of money, it means you're serving other people. Yeah. It means you've helped them. Um, And so that's a beautiful thing. And then give away as much as you can. And I'll tell you, America is the most generous nation by far. And I think that ties back to kind of just the even the ideas and the ethos that permeated the United States in its earliest of days, which is this idea that, you know, people need we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that means being very generous and giving them what we have. 
And as an economist and as a follower of Christ, do you think that when it comes to finances and personal finances that people will be most reluctant to trust God in that area? Maybe, because we like to have control. And so yeah. that's just kind of part of sin. That's part of our sin is that we don't we want to trust ourselves and not God. And I think money is something that you can view it accumulating, hopefully, right, in the bank. You can see it. This is like the yes. paranoia about the stock market when it crashes. Don't put your faith in the stock market. Put your faith in Jesus. Right. And, you know, diversify your portfolio and all those things. But I think it, it does seem like an area where we feel like I went to work. I earned that. It's fine. I'll decide what I give to God. Again, yeah. I don't think that's the right attitude. I think the attitude is God gifted me with these skills. I am a steward of what he's given me. He's blessing me. And then I need to bless other people, not just in doing my work well. That's the, one of the most important ways we bless others, but also in being generous with what I have. But I think we get a little stingy because we want to declare that space mine, not his. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ann, I'm curious, how far is your uh, polling, your um, uh, voting station from your house? It is at the top of my neighborhood, so it's about two and a half miles. So if I was feeling ambitious, I could walk there. I probably nice. won't. I'll probably <laughs> do the lazy thing and drive. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I so but appreciate I'll be you. There. I so appreciate you coming on the show as the economy and inflation are on top of everyone's minds today as they're going into Indeed. the voting booth. I appreciate your perspective, and I really love that you've reminded us to know that we are working for the Lord and serving Him, and, right. and that let's not have a scarcity mentality. I appreciate that very much. That's right. Thank you, Bill, for having me. You bet. Have a great day. Dr. Ann Bradley's been my guest. We're going to take a little break. We come back. We've got uh, Dr. Jesse Hamilton as our very special guest. First time on the show. Can't wait to meet him. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.